Ask the Dean, episode one. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and you may know me from lots of other podcasts that I do, including the Pre-Med Years, the MCAT Podcast, the MCAT Cars Podcast, Specialty Stories, Old Pre-Meds, so many podcasts, and we have a new one for you. And this one is a special one because it is the first project, media project, really, I think, the first podcast from my new company, Mapped. Now, Mapped is something that I've wanted to do forever. It's a technology platform that's going to help pre-meds understand the process and specifically their process, your process, into medical school. Now, Mapped will allow you to track your progress with your extracurricular activities, with your MCAT scores, including your practice test scores, your courses, the schools that you're interested in, and get feedback as you go. Mapped is a product that should be used from day one of undergrad. And if you're listening to this now and you're a sophomore or a junior, it's not too late. You can go sign up for Mapped now. And, and right now, as this episode is coming out, it's still in pre-order pricing. We haven't launched Mapped yet. We have over 750 students who have pre-ordered Mapped, who are ready to sign up and get into Mapped as soon as we're ready. And as you're listening to this, we're opening up the doors slowly to all the students who have pre-ordered and we're hoping for a public launch in the next month. So if you want to check out Mapped and want to see what it's all about, go to mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com, and you can find out more about Mapped there. Now, Ask the Dean is a series that we're doing specifically, at least right now, for our students who have pre-ordered Mapped and are in a private Facebook group where we do our Ask the Dean Facebook live stream. And in that live stream, if you're there and you've pre-ordered, you can ask questions of myself and who we call the Dean. We have the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, Dr. Scott Wright. He is our first hire at MAPT. He is our VP of Academic Advising. And if you're looking for any help with your applications as well, Dr. Wright is available for some one-on-one help too. So it's myself, Dr. Wright, and Rachel Grubbs, who is my business partner for MAPT and the co-founder of MAPT. Now, Rachel has years of experience in the pre-med world, in the test prep world specifically. So she's no slouch herself with all of the knowledge that she's bringing to the table for Team Mapped. So Ask the Dean, episode one, coming your way right now. We are live on Mapped on Facebook. Hello and thank you for watching. If you're watching this live, say hello let us know that you are here watching. We can see your comments. We can pull your comments in. Our goal here today is to introduce the MAPT team. We have Rachel and Dr. Scott Wright with us. And we really want to uh, both introduce MAPT and the team and then also answer as many questions with Dr. Wright as possible. And we'll we'll do some intros as well. I can see we got the live comments already coming in. Hello from yep. Sharon. Hello from Emily. Kristen, hello. Oh, we got... Got Kristen on, Savannah, Suzanne, lots of friends saying hi. Awesome. Thank you all for, for being here. So I want to start with Rachel. Rachel, you have a ton of experience in the test prep world, first mm-hmm. with the Princeton Review and then with Next Step, who became Blueprint. And uh, you and I are kind of the co-founders of MAP. So why don't you do a little intro about who you are and, and what your vision is for MAP? Great. Yeah. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here. So uh, as Ryan said, I have been in education services for a long time, about 20 years now. And um, I started in test preparation, started at the Princeton Review. I'm sure that's a brand a lot of you guys know. Um, When I started there, I was doing all kinds of test prep and admissions counseling. So SAT, ACT, GRE, GMAT, LSAT, MCAT. And um, I just really found that I had a kind of special connection with pre-meds and, um, you know, I had some health stuff as a child. So maybe some of it was just that predisposition to already really enjoying and being grateful for doctors, or maybe it was just sort of a personality thing. Um, But for whatever reason, uh, pre-med was always the thing that I kind of got the biggest 
thrill doing. And um, after about a decade at the Princeton Review, I was able to um, move on from them and join Next Step Test Prep, who um, I think you guys know is sort of relatively newer on the test prep scene, but especially with the change to the MCAT in 2015, became very, very well known. Um, and the thing that was really exciting for me about being at Next Step was it was small, so we could really have kind of laser focus on exactly what we thought was important. And, um, you know, I think the main things Next Step was no were known for at that time was the one-on-one -on -one tutoring and also um, the exams. You know, now they've got this course and thanks to Blueprint, the course is even better. So, you know, that was a big tenet of Next Step Blueprint is to be continuously improving. And, you know, they're off doing that and I wish them so well and we still work pretty closely with them. Um, but for me now at this stage of my career, you know, I've done a lot with test prep and that's always been fun for me and really rewarding. But so often when I'm talking to someone, say sophomore or junior year about the MCAT, things will come up that I think, oh, if only I had talked to you when you were 14 or even 19 instead of 21. Yes. You know, that was always the thing is I thought if, if only I could have helped educate you, you know, you've got the smarts, you've got the know-how, you've got the, the persistence, you just didn't understand how complicated this path is. And that's where Ryan, you and I connected as I thought, well, maybe, you know, we can't make walking this path any easier, but we can make sure that they know how to find it and navigate it. Um, and that's that for me is mapped is having a chance to help future physicians figure out how they're going to get there. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, very, very much aligned on on what we see um, the the struggles with pre-meds and, and much more. Uh, I did. If you're watching on Facebook Live, I put my phone up here. I have Instagram Live going on my phone. So if you're watching on Instagram Live, hello. Uh, come join us uh, on the Facebook page. If you find us at Mapped App, uh, is the Facebook.com slash Mapped App. M-A-P-P-D uh, is our Facebook page. You can come ask questions. We're going to have a, a fun time getting Dr. Scott Wright uh, initiated into the content world rapid fire question style. So Dr. <laughs> Scott Wright, uh, we actually, before we jumped on Facebook Live here, we uh, recorded a podcast episode. So if you listen to the pre-med years or if you um, don't yet, you will hopefully for, uh, this coming Wednesday where I have Dr. Wright on talking about his journey from dean of admissions to running a whole pre-health office at a large institution to then being the executive director at TMDSAS, which many of you from Texas know as the Texas Application Service. So... With that said, Scott, uh, do a brief little intro about you, and then we'll jump into some questions. So if you have questions, start asking them uh, on the Facebook page in the comment section for this video. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, it's a thrill to be here with you, with uh, Ryan and Rachel and uh, with, with all of you guys from around the country. It's, it's just a, a very exciting day, I think, for me, and uh, I am glad to be here. My journey um, is, as I said in in our uh, podcast when we that we just recorded, uh, sort of very serendipitous in in terms of getting into uh, into medical education. But basically, I uh, had been in higher ed for a long time. I eventually I decided uh, and got recruited into joining uh, the uh, medical school at UT Southwestern Med School in Dallas. And uh, it enabled me to really participate fully in what it, medical education was all about and in selecting classes and selecting students. I, I told Ryan earlier that I, I figured in my 10 years at UT Southwestern, I probably had run across my desk and delved into them at some level or another, somewhere around 40,000 applications and uh, numerous personal statements, uh, letters of recommendation, just everything that's involved in the process. Uh, went from there after a decade to uh, directing the, the uh, pre-health office at the University of Texas at Dallas and uh, really enjoyed being on the front end of things and helping students be the best, the best applicant that they could be over the course of their uh, time in crafting uh, what they were going to present to the medical schools as they applied. Uh, so for six years, I really ran a, a very high volume uh, application 
preparation process at UT Dallas, uh, where we would have hundreds of applicants every year and uh, applying to medical school. And really enjoyed that. Then I, uh, in 2012, got a, recruited away again uh, to join the uh, as the executive director of the Texas Medical and Dental Schools Application Service. And uh, so I was um, now in the middle of it. Uh, I had been on the side of the medical schools uh, and the selection process at, at the medical school level. I had been on the side of uh, advocating for my students at UT Dallas and helping them craft uh, a, uh, an application that was going to be successful. And then now I was in the middle with two populations where I was helping them, helping the medical schools on one side uh, with the data that they needed to make decisions, but also helping medical school applicants be uh, traverse the process of uh, applying in, applying to medical school and getting in. And uh, so I feel like I've been on every side of the picture. You know, I've been, uh, I've been on one side, I've been on the other side, I've been in the middle. And uh, so I think I have a good perspective on what a good applicant to medical school looks like and what that uh, can do for, uh, for them in the process and, and how they uh, prepare themselves to be uh, successful. So here I am now working uh, with Ryan and Rachel, and I'm super excited about this and very anxious to uh, to get into the into the thick of it and to help students from across the country realize that dream of uh, going to medical school and ultimately uh, becoming a physician that helps people uh, in a variety of different ways. Awesome. Well, we're we're excited to have you, and and I just know that the the students were just going to impact so many lives of students and the uh hey doggy <laughs> and um and pre-health advisors right we have at least one pre-health advisor on here that i saw uh with kristen and and we want to impact the pre-health advising office as well so not just the students but kind of from every direction yeah so absolutely. with that said let's go ahead and jump into some questions i think yeah we've got so many questions and comments it's so exciting to see all this engagement uh, Crystal has a comment that is, that is awesome to bring to the table. And I highly agree. So I just wanted to <laughs> uh, agree with that verbally. And then we, you know, we've got a ton of questions. Um, here's one that I think a lot of people have. So I'm going to start with this. Um, can you throw it up question, on the screen, Rachel? Can you try that? Oh, let's see let's if see. I can. Hey, look at that. Ah. Wow. Thanks so much for doing this here. I'll hide myself. Oh, you muted yourself, though, when you did that. You got to do that other audio-only version. That's right. Okay. Um, We're still playing so, with this new software. It's so fun. Sorry, guys. Let me. I got to learn as I go. Um, so er, uh, we got, thanks so much for doing this. My biggest question is how MCAT retakers should approach applying this cycle. My first MCAT score is very low, but I don't want to wait to apply until I get my updated score back, scheduled for a mid-July test date. And, of course, although this isn't said, we're all hoping we have mid-July test dates. We probably will, but yeah, <laughs> June hopefully too. Yeah. So Scott, I don't know because um, you you kind of left TMDSAS at the end of the year, and so mm -hmm. I, I know we've talked a little bit about you you paying attention to what the AAMC has been doing. Yeah. Um, from a standard year, w the advice that I typically give to students is that that schools can see that you have a pending score and they'll just be like, okay, we'll wait till that new score comes in and we'll give you a full review then yeah. with this current year, with just so much unknown going on. How do you think schools potentially are going to be handling this? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I think the schools, just like the students, the schools are figuring it out as they go along. And uh, there's no right or wrong way to do it. And uh, they're trying to figure out what do I do uh, as an institution for my school uh, to guarantee that I'm going to have a good class coming in next year. Um, I think uh, depending on how long this uh, process goes where we don't have any MCAT scores, uh, my guess is that there's going to be schools out there who are going to be interviewing students that they do not have an MCAT score for. Yeah. And they're going to base it all on the academic record, uh, potentially on past MCAT scores. But, you know, the, a lot of students aren't going to have any MCAT score. Yeah. And uh, they're going to be looking at uh, 
uh, everything else that they have in the application and, and trying to figure out what that, uh, what, you know, what, who this student is. So the, you know, my, by virtue of that being true, uh, my recommendation to students is do not delay submitting your application. Uh, put Get everything done that you have the power to work on. Uh, get the application filled out. Get your transcripts sent in or your uh, make sure your letters of recommendation are, are sent in and stuff. And then uh, and then you're just waiting for the MCAT and let the schools do what they do which I think is always the best advice. You do what you do. You let the schools do what they do. Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. There's you, you can't control how a school is going to uh, review the applications. All you can do is know that the best practice is get your application in as early as possible Yep. and, and just go from there and hope for the best. Yep. <clears throat> That's true. All right. Great start here. We'll keep you. So another <laughs> what's, the do- what's your dog's name? <laughs> Sorry about the dog. Thing. No, it's he's fine. His, he's losing his mind out there. I don't know <laughs> what he's doing. Uh, his name is Wilkie, W-I-L-K-I-E. And uh, so that's his name. All right. He's a little Pomeranian. Oh, that that explains it. A yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> right. Well, welcome to the show, Wilkie. Right. <laughs> All right. What we got for our next question? Ooh, there we go. From Stella. Hello, Dr. Wright. Due to COVID, volunteering, shadowing, and clinical volunteering is pretty much wiped out. What would you recommend for the traditional incoming juniors that will be applying next year? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question as well. Um, there are some internships that you can do that are set up where they'll allow you to do them remotely. Um, and so if you find one of those, absolutely do it. Uh, a lot of what is going to be happening though. It's just a wait and see uh, situation. As as I sort of indicated earlier in the in the earlier comment, uh, there are some employment opportunities. Uh, I'm familiar with one uh, medical scribe service startup um, that I think is in California, but I, I'm not totally sure about that. But it's a scribe service that is remote. In other words, they have a um, a, a, a device in the room with the doctor that you are able to see the patient remotely and you are able to hear uh, what's going on and the doctor's dictating and stuff. And you're, uh, you know, you're doing all the work uh, to uh, transcribe what, what's, ha- what's occurring. And so there are uh, some opportunities for, uh, for uh, a remote kind of experience that will give you uh, a good sort of sense of what this is all about Honestly, those are pretty limited, and uh, but you're gonna. You know, there are some out there. So the the question then, specifically for somebody who's an incoming junior, is you're just gonna have to wait and see uh, as things as things progress. Be ready to jump when the jumping's good, and uh, and then uh, go for it. But uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I would say the summer is pretty much gone in terms of those kind of experiences. Uh, so you're going to be looking at the fall. Hopefully uh, things will get ramped up uh, again in the fall, but we'll yeah, see. I think we have this kind of just beat into us definition of what volunteering or what clinical experience is. And so when you say virtual scribing, it's like, well, that's not clinical experience. And I'm like, right now it is. Right? Yeah. <laughs> take what you can get. And some other virtual things that a lot of people maybe think about or don't think about are crisis hotlines right now. Yeah. Crisis yeah. text lines uh, are, yeah. are very popular. So there yeah. are some opportunities out there um, that maybe traditionally don't fit the the standard of what a medical school may want. But right now, take what you can get. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. All right, let's rock and roll. What we got? Yeah. <clears throat> Numero trace. <laughs> let's see what we got. Waiting. We're looking for a good answer. There we go. From Megan. Um, I was wondering if taking a gap year is still considered non-traditional or with the higher amount of applicants taking a gap year, has it become the quote new norm or the new quote norm? Oh, I, I have some thoughts on this. What do you think about this? Uh, well, I think it's, uh, it's mu- what I would say is it's much more, um, 
I don't know if I'd use the word normal, but I, I think it's uh, much more common now than it used to be. Uh, you know, 10, 20, clearly beyond that years ago, uh, it was very abnormal. And, and you really looked as if, uh, you know, what's up with that was the question from, from most uh, medical schools. There, it's not unusual uh, these days for students to take gap years for a variety of different reasons. Maybe they're doing a post-bac program. Maybe they're doing a uh, Peace Corps or AmeriCorps. Uh, maybe they're doing, uh, you know, a variety of other types of activities uh, that might be great uh, experiences for them. And so I don't think it's uh, unusual at all anymore. And I think it's not unusual to uh, medical schools. Medical schools look at it and, and uh, they, they, they don't freak out about it anymore, which they you know would have years ago. Uh, so I think it's a it's a great option for some students, uh, depending on kind of what your what your plan is and what your uh, experiences have been. And and so I would say just uh, uh, don't uh, now to more to the point that you're making. I don't see it as the new norm. I do see it as much more common than it used to be. And uh, so I think if it makes sense for you uh, as an individual applicant, then it, it's not going to be a big red flag or something that schools are going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't know what's up with this. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's all based on what you're doing and how it fits the picture that you're trying to present yeah. uh, for the schools. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so one of the things, Scott, as you'll learn, the the thing that I add on to to every question is is how is it going to help me to get into medical school, or, right. or will this right the the kind of heart of almost every question that a student may ask is w- will this help me get into medical school? And so, if we want to twist around Megan's question a little bit, is there are lots of students taking gap years. Should I be taking one? Will it help me get into medical school? And yeah. and I had this conversation at a, a meetup actually in Texas at College Station. And the the thought process that students have are like, oh, a lot of students getting into medical school now have taken gap years. Therefore, I should take a gap year because it will help me get into medical school. And I'm like, no, like that's that's not that's not how science works. Like we don't <laughs> right. we don't make those jumps logically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, really, as you said, right for the individual person, what what is your plan? What are you hoping to get out of a gap year? Why are you taking a gap year? Yeah. Are you taking a gap year because you're a little burnt out of school and you want to go explore a little bit? Are you taking a gap year because your grades are bad and you need to fix your grades? Are you ta- There's so many reasons that, yep. that just because lots of students who are getting in right now have taken gap years doesn't mean that you should take a gap year too to help you get into medical school based on, on you, like your individual, which is what you said. So Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. Good. Good, good. All right. Rock and roll. roll. Yeah. Keep them coming. All right. Emily. Ooh, our TMDSAS one. Is it worth applying to TMDSAS as an out-of-state applicant? Will good stats help to overcome the low percentages they take from other states? So I'll, I'll, I'll preface this for, for people watching and listening. Um, so TMDSAS has a state mandate that up to 10% of students can be from out of state. So with that said, what are the out of staters supposed to do? Yeah. I mean, uh, I would say the last statistic I saw said that, uh, uh of all applicants to uh, medical school through TMDSAS about, I think last year it was 24% of the applicant pool were, were out of state applicants. So um, what that means is there's a stiff competition uh, as it is in any school that in any state that has, um, uh, you know, residency requirements that are as stiff as, uh, as Texas does. And so what I would say is, um, you know, it kind of goes back to um, looking at your particular uh, profile and understanding what you're doing, uh, what you're about, what your profile looks like in terms of numerically, but also outside of the numbers. What kind of applicant are you? And um, and then making the best case decision that you can uh, about whether you're going to apply um, in one of those states such as Texas or not. Um, what you do know 
there's only, in my view, there's only one absolute in the medical school admissions process. And that is, if you do not apply, you will not get in. <laughs> I love that. That's my saying, Scott. Don't steal my saying. <laughs> your, your chances of getting in are zero if you don't yeah. apply and more yeah. than zero if you do apply. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the One good of the the, things that, that let I, me just say that yeah. the good thing about Texas is that it's it's relatively inexpensive to to apply in Texas. Yep. Uh, it's uh, about one hundred and eighty five or so dollars. And you can apply to any a number of the schools that you want to any or all. Uh, and it's a flat rate. So you can apply to one or you can apply to all 11 uh, of the state supported schools in Texas with the one application fee. And so if you got, you know, if you're willing to spend the $185, why not? Yep. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, so Enrique was your former right-hand man uh, Correct. there at the Texas Health Education Service, that, which oversaw TMDSAS. And I've talked to him a lot about this. I, I'm sure there's a way to find some data or pull the data, because one of the things that, that I think is core to out-of-state, especially for TMDSAS, but for other out-of-state schools or out-of-state applicants to public schools outside of TMDSAS is we don't know who those students are. So let's let's say, okay, up to 10%, let's say a maximum of 10% got in. We don't know if 5% of those students grew up in Texas and moved right. away and are no longer residents. We don't right. know, like we don't have that sort of data, or at least that's published, but I would love to see that data. Again, going back to, to me kind of being Mr. Transparent, is I would love for TMDSAS to go, hey, you know what? We know a lot of you out-of-staters are applying because we have cheap tuition and it's cheap to apply, but here are the out-of-state applicants who actually get in. The far majority of them actually were from Texas, have family in Texas, they're here every summer, whatever, right? That sort of uh, nuanced data would be interesting. And I, I think there's some truth potentially behind that. Yeah. I mean, it, it would be interesting to see. I agree. That's that's really in a lot of ways, that's that's a lot more qualitative than quantitative yep. uh, analysis. That's why it's so difficult to to pull that kind of thing together. Um, but I would say that in my experience, uh, well, I, I certainly know that the, the state laws that govern residency in te Texas, you're either a resident of Texas or you're not. And right. so they many of the schools do look for connections with Texas. You know, my grandparents live there. I visited them every summer or, you know, Uncle Gene is going to let me live in his place uh, because I'm, you know, whatever. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, things that, that go on with that. But I would say anecdotally, uh, my sense, my intuition says that the, the vast majority of applicants that are non-residents that get into Texas medical schools, that that's not the case, okay. that it's, it's much more about something that they're going to bring to the medical school class that will enrich the class that is going to make it a, uh, a stronger, more cohesive, uh, more team oriented, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I, I think there probably are some where it's a connection, uh, that they have with Texas, but my feeling would be that the vast majority of them, uh, it's not the case that there's some connection to Texas, and it's just that they're a great applicant. They just have the stats to boost up the numbers. Yeah, that's right. It is. <laughs> it's all about padding the numbers. <laughs> awesome. What else we got? It's like uh, it's like waiting for the 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 slot machine to finish spinning. Like, oh, what's coming? I know, right? Who Cecilia? In a do-it-yourself postback, should you retake prereqs or address it on your application and continue taking different upper-level science courses? So, for the for the students out there that are trying to do some grade repair, what what do you typically recommend, or what have you seen? Yeah, uh, this is a tough question, and I think you know the the key to this question, in my view, is the DIY part of it. Uh, and uh, hopefully, wherever you're doing this postback program, uh, 
if you can call it a program, if it's DIY, uh, that there's going to be a pre-med advisor there that can can uh, help you with some of that. Uh, but in 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 the perfect world, you know, that would be the case. But I, what I would say is um, that, yeah, if you have Caesar or, 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 or worse, you know, potentially, in other words, if you struggled in some of the prereq classes, uh, then you may want to retake those courses for two reasons, I think. One is about your academic record. It's saying that I can do this course and I can do it at a strong level. The other is that you, you have to keep in mind that, let's say, for example, you made a, a C's in general chemistry or C's in uh, organic chemistry. Um, what that says to me is that you don't have a grasp of the information. And this is going to have repercussions later on on the MCAT, for example. Uh, if you don't have a good fundamental grasp of the information in those classes, then you've got to show the medical schools that you that you do have that, that you can do the class and do it at a high level. But it's also the issue of you need to make sure you have the fundamentals in place. Now, what MCAT prep doesn't do, MCAT prep is not meant to give you the fundamentals. MCAT prep is meant to augment what you already have in terms of the fundamentals and focus you on areas where you need uh, further assistance, further information, further studying, whatever, whatever. Uh, but uh, so I would say, um, yes, depending on the class, uh, you might want to look at uh, retaking a, a class with a C, um, but that doesn't remove the need to also do the second part of your question, which is taking upper level courses as well. So I think it's not a mutually exclusive sort of statement here. I think it's a uh, it's a both and proposition here rather than an either or. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, the the typical recommendation that I, I give is uh, repeat the the C or re, repeat that class if you feel like your foundation isn't solid, which is right. what, exactly what right. we're talking about. And then right. show the growth through those upper division classes. Let me, before we jump to this question, there's a, there's a follow-up question that's kind of directly aligned with that last one, which is why potentially does it seem, and I, I don't know if I would say this, but the student asked this question, why does it seem like all med schools prefer formal postbacks or SMPs compared to a do-it-yourself postback? Uh my feeling is that it's because of the structure. Uh, if you're doing it yourself, you're sort of sometimes they're all over the place. They're all over the map in terms of courses that are taking. There doesn't seem to be any plan or any cohesion to it. Um, whereas with a structured pr uh, postback program, they have confidence in that everybody's doing the same thing that you, that they know. So for, for example, if you, if you're doing it yourself and you had a 3.6 GPA doing it yourself, uh, then that may not be uh, clear what that means. What does that 3.6 mean uh, as a GPA for a postback program? Whereas with a structured uh, program, where they see a lot of applicants coming from that program, they know what a 3.6 means. Yeah. They have a track record to understand uh, what that, uh, what that really, uh, what, it, what it involves to, 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 to get that 3.6. So um, it's not to say that doing it on your own is a bad thing. Uh, I think it just takes more effort on your part and a lot more homework and, and, uh, and stuff like that, uh, to make it happen and to keep on a, on a, on a plan that, that makes sense, uh, as opposed to a structured, uh, program where everything is all sort of laid before you and there's research in those, uh, programs that say this is what makes a student successful. Uh, both in terms of preparing, let's say, for the MCAT or uh, getting the fundamentals down so that when they do enter into medical school that they're going to be successful, uh, et cetera. Yeah, awesome. All right. What else we got? 
I like it. I like it. All right. right? Next question. Uh, being pre-med can be pretty isolating slash competitive in a normal year. Heightened now, definitely. Have you seen any digital ways that help build community to further support each other grow? Just thinking about the conversations slash concerns in the pre-med hangouts and other groups. Yeah, that's the first thing that popped into my mind, right? The, the pre-med hangout, which is right. our, our Facebook group, is uh, an amazing community. Um, right. What do you, do you have any thoughts on this? Mm-hmm. Where students can get support potentially? Yeah, I mean, same for me, Ryan. That's my first reaction was these uh, uh, these uh, you know Facebook groups and stuff. I know at at, uh, at TMDSAS to the Texas Health Education Service, we have a number of different. Um, Facebook groups where students can really uh, encourage each other and uh, help each other in classes or whatever. And uh, so I would say that would be my first thought would, would be that those those are the groups that you want to seek out. But I think you you often, uh, too, have to be very um, uh, cognizant of what groups you're getting into. Make sure that they're moderated well. Uh, that there are groups that you have a lot of confidence in, um, where the, where this group is coming from, who's in charge of the group, so that yeah. you know that there's good information and that it's not just a bunch of crackpots who sort of, <laughs> you know, whatever. So, um, <clears throat> what? yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't think, and, and I'm wearing my shirt, right, uh, which is covered by the question right now, my my collaboration, not competition shirt. It's something yes. that, I, that I really yeah. believe in. Uh, and yeah. it's it's kind of, through the heart of our Facebook group, the pre-med hangout, which if you go to premedhangout.com, uh, it'll take you there. I, I know students in some other groups that are like, ah, I can't stand that group. It's a little more cutthroat. Um, but find, find your people and, and really uh, connect with them. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, Rachel. Hey, hey I was Rachel. just staying off screen to make sure you could see faces and chat. Um, <laughs> and doing a little bit of, clean up in the background while I was at it. So um, as often happens during these live streams, we're getting a lot of questions that are very specific to individual situations. So I just want to call out, I see you guys and I feel you. Um, I'm kind of looking for patterns. So if your situation is really, really far out there, you may not get a shout out unless I see five or seven other people with the same thing, which is not the same as one person posting five times. I'm not fooled by that. (laughs) (laughs) I I love you, but I'm not fooled by it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there's, there's still a lot of stress around COVID, right? So we've talked about the fact that, um, that shadowing and volunteering is a little different this year and that you might have to be more creative or accepting something virtual that you wouldn't have. There's also a lot of what are medical schools going to do. So I'll see if I can find one to throw up as an example, but there's a lot of, are they really going to look at, are they really going to consider? So how will they feel about online courses? How will they feel about the MCAT? And the reason I'm kind of hopping on to talk about it is because I think the problem is, is that we're all trying to figure that out together. Um, Dr. Dr. Wright, with all of his amazing experience, is also experiencing this pandemic for the first yep. time. Yep. Um, so, um, so we can take some educated guesses, but I just want to yep. put that out there for you guys that part of what we're committing to do at MAPT is to stay super informed and watch and re- relay everything as we learn. But we, too, are waiting to see more med schools come forward and say things. If you have, we're hoping more will. Um, so I just want to kind of acknowledge that to the group, too. Um, let me see. let so me yes. kind of dig a little bit deeper at that co- the core of where a lot of these questions are coming from, which kind of leads back to the talk that I gave in Toronto. Scott, is I think a lot of these students just don't trust the admissions committees that are saying, oh, we're holistically looking at your applications. We understand what you're going through. A lot of students just think that that they're out there to get the 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 top stats and most numbers of hours and research and everything else. And so there's, there's a lot of distrust in this process. How do we fix that? Well, I think that's a good question. Uh, I don't totally know the answer to it. (laughs) Um, I think it's a, it's a, you know, I think that the medical schools uh, 
often try their best uh, to be transparent. And uh, there's some things that they really can't be transparent about for a variety of different reasons. And so they, they have to do the best they can. And they, they, you know, I, I would say in my experience, most medical schools are trying to be as transparent as they can. Now on the other, on the other side of things, I think that you, you know, it's easy for a pre-med student to characterize medical schools as, oh, all they're looking for is the top GPAs and top MCAT scores, and they don't really care about anything else and blah, 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 blah. It's also easy. And and are there some probably medical schools out there that do that? I, I guess so. Yeah, probably there are. Um, so if you're going to always push it off on the extreme, uh, on the tail of the of the normal curve that says these are what this group of schools do, does is this, that's what everybody does. Then that's wrong. Yeah. And it would be equally easy for a medical school to do the same thing about pre-med students and say pre-med students are always trying to work the system. They don't want to work hard. They just want to try to get in in any little kind of fidgety way that they can. They're all trying to game it. You know, yep. blah, blah, blah. Is that true? Yeah, it's true about some students. Some, yeah. But it's not everybody. Right. So don't, if you don't like being characterized and stereotyped, then don't do it on the other end either. You know, I think you have to recognize that there's a vast array of pre-med students and what motivates them and what does things for them. And there's a vast array of medical schools and what motivates them and what they're all about as well. And uh, what, you know, um, spending your effort uh, griping is not going to get you into medical school. Yeah, uh, you have to you have to do the work and you have to be the best applicant you can be by doing the work and preparing yourself and doing all the things that we talk about a lot that Ryan and Rachel have been talking about for years that I've been witnessing for years. And uh, and so, you know, keep that in mind as you kind of go through this process. Yeah. Perfect answer. Yeah. Love it. Good point. Um. So several folks have asked a question that I think is, well, it's already been multiple podcasts. It could be the whole live session, but a lot of people want to know what is the biggest mistake or the biggest mistakes that pre-meds make on applications. I, I know we don't have an hour and a half just for that question, but maybe we could spend a couple minutes on it. Sure. Uh, I'll show one. Yeah, Scott. So you've, uh, I think you have the best experience from this, from the admissions committee side, from the pre-health office side, seeing students who are being rejected and why, and then from TMDSAS as well, reviewing yep. applications that are being rejected for one reason or another. So, yep. so take, take your uh, hit at this. Well, I think, uh, I would say two things. One is a very concrete thing and one is a little bit more abstract in terms of mistakes that students make. The concrete part is uh, anytime you have misspelled words, grammatical errors, you know, that kind of stuff in your application is not good. <laughs> uh, not good at all. I've seen. One I remember won't kill you, right? One won't kill you. We always miss one thing. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I agree with that, but I, I, so I, I, I like to tell the story. I, I had an applicant back at UT Southwestern years ago who said in his application on a number of different, uh, at, at a number of different times, he said that he wanted to go into surgery, that his, his uh, dream was to go into, into the field of surgery surgery this surgery that he and he misspelled surgery, surgery every time s-u-r-g-u-r-y uh, you know this was very clear that this student was not going to get in mm. uh and i mean a big mistake like that is just yeah. you know it's just unexcusable that's like uh the the ophthalmologists uh the 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 resident or the medical students who want to be ophthalmologists that misspell ophthalmology on the yes. residency applications. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Not for you. Yeah. So just don't, you know, I think you have to proofread your, you know, every part of your application. Uh 
And my, my advice is if you use your keyboard to input something into the application, you have to proof it. Yep. Uh, so if you're just clicking on things and obviously that's, that's different, but if you're, if you're typing something in, it doesn't matter if it's a short answer or a long answer or an essay or whatever, you got to proof it. And I recommend that students prior to submitting the application, they need to print it out. They can print out a PDF of it, PDF of it. And they, they read proofread it that way, but they have to do it out loud. I recommend strongly that students proofread their, their application materials out loud to themselves uh, and slowly and intently, because I think when you do it out loud, you're not only, voicing it but you're reading it and you're also hearing it it's multi-sensory process that can really make a big difference uh in 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 noticing some of these really nuanced kind of mistakes that sometimes crop up now the other thing i would say is so that's the concrete part is um avoiding those types of mindless errors in your application the more abstract part is um, focusing too much on what I like to call the what. I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And not near enough on the so what. Yeah. You know, you got to focus in on what is the value here? What is the meaning of these experiences? And, uh, you know, that is what takes an applicant, an application or a personal statement from being a good one to being a great one is when students can really dive deep into this meaningfulness uh, issue and really express to them, what did I get out of this? What 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 was this all about to me in a, in a really deep way? So that, I think, is a, a, a key element of what differentiates, at least in my mind, uh, good applications from, from really great applications. Yeah, I say the exact same thing, Scott. I, I type it so much, reviewing personal statements. It's like, okay, so you just told me what happened, but you didn't tell me why. Why did yeah. this affect you? Why Why was yep. this so impactful for you yep. that led you to confirm that this is what you want? That You're trying to show me, the reader, the admissions committee, the reviewer, why this experience was obviously so important to you that you're putting it in your personal statement, but you're not telling me why it's important to you. Like, yeah. finish finish the thought, please. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we should end there. We could go on for hours and hours and hours. But my hope is that um, we turn this into a regular a regular session, um, uh, kind of an ask the dean session, maybe once a yeah. week or so, yeah. um, where we can uh, pick your brain, Scott. And, and really, uh, a couple plugs here. Rachel, I don't know how fast you can make a little banner, but for National Pre-Med Day we have coming up nationalpremedday.com is uh, a big day we have coming up scott will be there for for some of it um or all of it depending on how well his throat holds out talking all day long <laughs> um the um but national Prima day we're gonna have a lot of speakers we're, i think we're gonna have two live streams potentially going one like this similar uh to this uh, on Mapped, and then potentially one on the Medical School HQ page, um, but then with Mapped as well, right? Mapped, if you don't know, it's going to be a technology platform. We're going to have students be able to um, be able to enter grades and see trends and get feedback on that, and and put MCAT scores in and get feedback on that, and and be able to put in their extracurriculars and get feedback on that all through the software itself. Um, but part of that as well is being able to to then pick the brain of an advisor if you want. Um, our big goal is to be able to send it to your own personal advisor at your university or school. Uh, if you don't have an advisor at your school, then potentially sending it one, to one of our advisors, and, and Scott is one of those advisors. So um, lots of fun stuff. If you have some nuances in your application, Scott will be joining us full-time here at the start of next month um, where potentially you can get some one-on-one help if that's something you're looking for as well. But to start, nationalpremedday.com. 528, maximum score on the MCAT. Love it. Scott, thank you so much for joining us here on the oh, live stream. Thank you so much for joining us here at Mapped. I'm so excited 
Rachel and I are so excited to have you. And we, we oh, yeah. give you a, a like a really cool name, like a title, like advisor assassination something or other. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need a cool name. So we'll, we'll ask the audience, like what kind of cool title can we give Scott? Yeah, that'd we'll be good. Have input like that. I agree. I agree. I love, I love crowdsourcing that. <laughs> any final thoughts, Rachel or Scott? I'm really excited. This was fun today. And I hope to see all of you and all of your friends on May 28th. Yeah. Day. I had a great time and, and my puppy Wilkie had a good time. <laughs> and so we're all doing good. Yes. Yes. Thanks everyone for joining us. Oh, Enrique is saying hello. Excellent information, Matt team. Hello, Enrique. We miss you. <laughs> um, well, awesome. I'm, I'm excited to continue. Just if, if you guys know who I am, I love putting out this sort of content. So the more we put out for you to help you answer your questions, the, the happier I'll be. So yeah, we'll see you next time. And again, premidyears.com for the episode with Scott, the podcast episode with Scott coming out this Wednesday. All right. Episode one in the books. Thank you so much for joining us we have as i'm recording this we just wrapped up episode nine so this is something we have on the schedule every week right now for our mapped students again go check out mapped i'm so excited for what mapped is going to do not only for pre-med students but also for the advisors helping pre-med students because we want this tool to be a platform that allows better communication, more efficient communication for students and their advisors at their universities. This tool is not going to replace advisors. It's not to compete against advisors. It's to help advisors. And as we continue to build the platform, we will likely have the ability to not only reach out to advisors directly in the platform, have them leave feedback, but also to be able to have the advisors upload their own specific information into the platform. So, so many amazing features coming to Mapped. And as I said, right now, as you're listening to this episode one, before, let's say, mid-August or so, pre-order pricing is still available. Go check it out, mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. Thank you so much for coming on this journey with myself, Dr. Ryan Gray, with Dr. Scott Wright, and with Rachel Grubbs here at Team Mapped. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Ask the Dean.